0: Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you because you are our King. We think about the love that you have for us, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, and it is truly unimaginable that a King would die for us. That a king would want to have a relationship with those who are just wretched and lowly, just like us. Father, we thank you for doing all the things that you've done, for giving us the grace and the mercy that you've shown in our lives for sending your son to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we might be able to have life, that we might be able to have a relationship with our King, God of the universe. For that, we are so grateful. We're so thankful for who you are and what you've done. As we open up your sacred text here this morning, Father, we want to hear you speak to us through your word, not for head knowledge, that we might come uh, away from here knowing more doctrine or theology, but we would be changed from the inside out and know what you've done, how much you've loved us, and what our response to the love ought to be. Father, hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. If you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word, we'll be in Romans chapter two here this morning. Romans chapter two, starting in verse seventeen, continue our series in the book of Romans. While you do that, I want you to imagine that you went to work one day and your boss told you that she was going on vacation. And while she was on vacation, she wanted you to be in charge. And so as she's gone, and it's like, this is very important. Here's a list of things that I need you to do. I'm going to be gone for two weeks. Here's a list of things that I need you to do while I'm away. This is a very important list. It's is vital to the company that you not only take this list, but you do them, each and every one of them, very specifically. So... Don't lose it. Don't do any of these items out of orders. Don't, don't skip any steps. Don't change to it or add. Just, just execute the list. This is everything you need. And you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. This feels cool. I get to be in charge. That's what most of us would think, right? Isn't it humbling that the boss would come and single you out and say, hey, I want you to be in charge Here's the things that are again vital to the the company that, that need to be done while I'm away. So the week before the boss leaves, she says, Oh, hey, you got the list still, right? You haven't lost it? Right? Okay, great. Fantastic. So do you have any questions? You understand everything that's on the list. You're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Do you feel comfortable? Yeah, I'm I feel comfortable. You have any questions? No, it's pretty straightforward. I got this. I understand. All right, you got it. So we'll see you when I get back. So the boss is gone for a couple weeks, and when she gets back, she comes in, and you you greet her. Hey, we missed you. Glad to let you back. Tell me about your vacation. Fantastic. So how did everything go, she asks. How how does everything go while I was gone? You say, it was wonderful. It was great. It was fantastic. Everything went well. I meticulously went over the lists. I highlighted areas that seemed to be important for me to remember. You know, and I even um, uh, memorized some of the steps because they were so vitally important to the company that I wanted to make sure that I got it. And she says, so did you get everything done? Oh, um, I mean, you I know you said not to change anything, but, you know, as I was reading through the list, I thought there could be some improvements and surely i don't I don't think you meant everything that you put on the list, so I just made some process improvements, let's say. I also thought it was important for other people to get acquainted to the list, so you know I went above and beyond, and we had a little group that met, and we got together and we talked about the list and how important it was and and I wanted to show them my highlights, and we went on and memorized some of the items in the list. So, man, it was just some great instruction you put together. I really appreciate you leaving this list for me. Okay, that's that's weird, says the boss. So what, how, how did everything go once you did the list? Well, when you went through those steps and you actually did what I asked you to do, everything worked all right, right? And you say, oh, well, mm, you know, so what had happened was I I, I didn't actually do the list but I, I thought it was really important and I, I memorized it and I, I walked other people through it. And you know what, my son's birthday came up and I had to do that. And so that, that came up and, you know, and it actually snowed one day while you were gone. So I didn't even really, I couldn't really come into work when on the snow day. And in a matter of fact, I took a long weekend too while you were gone and took my family out and, and enjoyed them. We had so much fun, let me tell you. Probably not as fun as you did on your vacation, but we had fun. How long do you think you'd have that job? (laughs) Yeah, before they finish the sentence. Huh. So the boss sends you this list and and tells you how important and vital it is to the company, but you you choose not to do anything. You know, this is a very simplistic story that really paints the picture of how we are when it comes to the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, um, you know, you're saved by works. I'm not saying that God gives us a list to tick off while he's away. So I don't want to, you to leave with that. But he has given us some instruction. He, he has given us a plan for, for our lives. And he's told us uh, to do certain things. But I want to be clear that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by Scripture alone, and for God's glory alone. But because of that, our response to God's grace would be that we are obedient to Him. Because of what God has done for us, because He loved us in such a special way, it would move us, it would drive us, to do what he called us to do. It would move and drive us to be obedient to. That's the least we can do. Our Savior, our King, gave up his life so that you can live. The least you can do is spend 15 minutes a day reading scripture. The least you can do is spend 15 minutes on your knees in prayer With him. I mean, the scales are like way different. He gave up his life and I spent 15 minutes. It's the least that you can do. James 1 and 22 tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Because when you hear what God calls us to do, just like the the employee and the boss situation, you, you hear it and you don't do it. What That's worthless. What's the point? What what are you even trying to do? What do you think you're doing? It's important that we understand and, and realize that we can not only be hearers of the Word, but also doers because just because you heard it one day doesn't get you anything. That That doesn't get you a front seat to heaven. That might be some... Uh, words that wake you up this morning. James also goes on to say in, in, in chapter 2 and 26, is, For as my body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Again, not doing works so that we might achieve a measure of salvation or righteousness, but it, again, it's the least that we could do. We do that out of response for what God has already done for us. Faith without works is dead because the, the lack of works revealed an unchanged life or a spiritually dead heart. Those of you who are parents here in the room, uh, when you have a child, man, you just love them. When You didn't even know you had that much love in your heart or the capacity to love in such a way until you had a child or maybe until you got married and you love your spouse in such a way you just didn't know that you had the capacity to, and it drives you to do things you never thought. In some some movies that I would never have watched before, I watched because my wife, one of our first dates was to go see the movie Titanic. Man, that was the best sleep I've gotten in a while. But I went because... I wanted to be with the woman I was courting. And, uh, and so we, that's, that's what love looks like. When we, when we see the measure of what it is and what it looks like for us in our lives. So in our text this morning, Paul explains how God gives righteousness to those who follow his commands and seek him with a sincere heart. So look with me here. We're in Romans 2 starting in verse 17. And here God's word reads, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhors idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Let's pause there. Woo. Paul's going at them. Now, remember just before this, uh, Paul is uh, Paul talking to a mixed group. There's Jews there and there's Gentiles. Gentile means non-Jew. So everybody who was not a Jew is, is technically a Gentile. And while Paul is going through, we remember he, he goes through this whole list of, of sins. He's like, hey, you shouldn't be doing any of this stuff. You you know this is abhorrent to God, and the Jews are probably standing on the side. Yeah, preach it, Paul. That's right, get them, preach it. He's like, Hold on for a second. Let me let me make sure that you understand that I'm talking to everybody here, and not just the Gentiles. The Jewish folks listen to Paul, they might have they, they thought they were superior. They're like, hey. This was written for us. Hey, we we got it down. We we got this memorized. They thought they were superior because of their status, and they were self-righteous. It caused them to be hypocritical, because they got they thought they had all their stuff together, but they were leaning solely on religious aspects. They were leaning solely on their their ethnic background, but unfortunately, this this external religion without internal conversion has no value to God, none whatsoever. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And it it doesn't matter ultimately. Just as I laid out in my intro example a moment ago, God never intended for his people to simply memorize his law or have head knowledge. He intends to have a relationship with us. He intends to to show His love for us, and through that, that we might respond in a kind way. He intends for us to keep the law. And while we never can do it perfectly, we ought to strive for it. We we got a target out there, and, and we'll never hit it. But try as we might, we try every moment of every day that we can. Like, if I, I'm I'm gonna do better in this area, do better in this area, because God's been so good to me. He sacrificed everything to me. This is the least that, that I can do. The drive and the need to follow God comes from being changed from the inside out. This is not a behavior modification that we're talking about. It's because we are changed. The Jews learned. Enough to satisfy multiple lifetimes. I mean, they were very stringent about what they were learning about the law and God and memorizing it and being able to teach others and all these other things. But where they fought, fell short was, even though they they learned it all, even though they taught it all, they didn't do it all. And Paul knew it. Paul called them out. And you talk about an uncomfortable conversation. Paul's like, hey. Um, I know you do all these things. You, you, you teach all these things and you say all these things, but I know what's really going on. I've seen it. I understand. You guys know better. Charles Simeon, who was an evangelical clergyman in the 1800s, said this in, in one of his commentaries. He says that many heathens are in an uncomparably better state than a great mass of Christians who in their life and conversion disgrace the truth they profess. Many of them will rise up in judgment against those who, with their clearer views and more confident for professions of faith in Christ, have walked unworthy in their heavenly calling. Ugh. See, this is why unchurched folks don't want to deal with us. Because we're hypocrites. We want to be all high and mighty and talk about uh, you shouldn't be doing that and you shouldn't be saying this and you don't believe in the same God and you don't believe in the right things. But we don't look at our own lives to understand that we're not walking the walk either. We got this big old plank in our eye. Like, hey, let me, let me get that out of this, that speck out of your eye. And we can't see ourselves. I hadn't got to be real with you. This is what the text says. and We got to understand what that means. How do we live this out? How do we keep from being hypocrites like we see here in the text? You want to know the most tragic results of these so-called Christians dishonoring God, that the worst thing that we see is that it's a terrible witness to the world. And we see this every day in the news, in social media, we see these so-called Christians standing on their high horse, wanting to call everybody else out. And they are a terrible witness for the gospel. Well, what about your adultery? What about your stealing? What about you paying your taxes? What about you defrauding the people at your company? How dare you disgrace and defame the word of God? Romans 2 and 24 goes on to say this, for it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among Gentiles because of you. You are so messed up that Gentiles are, they're looking, they're taking notice. Like they talk about this Jesus and it sounds good, but there's some, some something's not adding up here some things are just, it's just not right. They, they say Jesus is, is telling them us to do these things, but they're not even doing it. How does that work? How do you expect people to come to Christ and believe in Him when you're not even changed by it? Tell me how that works. How do you expect somebody else to be changed and transformed and you walking around like the world is falling? And there's nothing that could be done. And this is the worst time to ever live. There's no hope. There's no mercy. There's no grace. And then you want to go and tell somebody about Jesus and you should be better. Make that make sense for me. If you claim to be one of God's people, your life should reflect what God is like. If you claim to follow somebody, you claim to be a learner of somebody, you would tend to look like and do the things that the people that you're learning from. That you would look more like Jesus if you claim to follow Jesus. You would start to act like and talk. Like I told you, some of the the most saved people, you can know it by just talking to them because they start to sound like Scripture. They start to sound like Bible. Like, oh, I know they spend time on their knees, and I know they spend time in the scripture. They sound just like just like David did. They tend to reflect that, what they are putting in. So when you diso- disobey God, you, you're dishonoring him in the same time. People are watching. People are taking notice. What do people think about God when they look at your life? Stay with me. I, you don't want to think about it, but what do what do people think about God when they look at your life? My hope, my prayer is that we are a walking, talking testimony of who Jesus Christ is. That people would see the light of Christ in us, in our lives. That people would see that somehow we are different, that we are set apart. And they want to know why. Not, Not only that, they want to know how they can be the same. Jesus said that he came to serve and not to be served. But would people say that about you? That you came to serve and not to be served? Psalm 86 and 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Would people say that about you? That you're merciful and, and gracious, that you are slow to anger, that you're abounding in steadfast love and in faithfulness. Does that categorize your life? Men, does your love for your wife reflect the love that Christ has for the church? Does your love for your wife reflect in such a way that you would give up your life for her like Christ did the church? I think it's important that we take in on this look today and identify how we can be examples of this, how we can embody this, how men can love wives better, love our children, love our families, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's a lot easier to tell others how to behave and believe than it is for us to tell ourselves, isn't it? We, we want to do a lot of this, but it, I mean, our our fingers can't turn inward enough. Our, our, our wrists don't work that way for us to point at ourselves and really look at our own lives to see how we exemplify those things that we read in Scripture. Look with me in verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is, is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So there's a saying that says, um, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. You all have heard that, right? I mean, of course, right to the letter. Obviously, Christianity is a religion, but unlike other religions, it's um, it's spiritual rituals, and, and 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 all these things don't don't get you anywhere. It's not like you go and do all these things, or you you pay a certain amount and to get you into this special club. That's not how Christianity works. As Paul outlines, the authentic Jews weren't folks who perform these external rituals like circumcision, uh, but those who follow God in obedient relationship. There's no other religion out there where you can have a relationship with the Creator. You just go and do stuff and you hope that you do enough to get you in a place that is good. But that is not how... Christianity works. Well, we did some evangelism a couple years ago and just went house to house and talking to people. There was one guy that I talked to and uh, I just asked him a question like, what do you think it takes for you to get into heaven? Reading through the Bible, understanding scripture, it's very foundational to our faith, that question. He said, well, you know, I just hope that I do enough good things that I just tip the scales in my favor. I just hope that I could do just a little bit more than somebody else that would give me admittance into heaven. But sir, that's, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sir, that is not how we get into heaven. That Jesus came and because we just, just had all these other things going on when sin came into our lives and we're, we're driven by flesh, Uh, God has this perfect law that we just can't stand up to. There had to be a perfect sacrifice, had to be somebody to come to atone for the sins in our lives because we continue to mess up over and over again. And God sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life that is everlasting. God paid the penalty and the price on your behalf so that you can have life. And when he had conquered the grave, he conquered death, showed his, himself to thousands of people, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now, if, if you would just believe in him, then you would be his. You would be grafted into his family. Jesus did the work, you didn't. You're covered by the blood of Jesus if you would just believe. Would you do that today? The guy was like, I mean, yeah, but I still got to do good stuff, right? Like, no. That is not what gets you interested in the heaven. Well, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying to abide by the law. Like all 600 of them? Like, Yeah. I got to pray with, with the guy and hopefully, I mean, I never saw him again. Hopefully he starts to, to look more into the scripture and he understands what uh, salvation by by faith through grace means, understand why Jesus came, what that looks like and, and and how he uses that in his life. And he knows that because of his love for God and through those things, he would want to do good things. But not so that it get him a special status, not so that it get him a front seat in heaven. Later in chapter 9 and in Romans, Paul talks more about um, this distinguishment between Israel according to the flesh and Israel according to the promise, which he's kind of laying out here in these first few verses, and he's gonna go more into that in chapter nine. But I'm sure as Paul is talking. Um, some of the ears perked up when in verse 27, I don't know if you missed this, but he says in 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code in circumcision but break the law. I'm sure the Jews were like, say what now? Are you trying to say that the, the Gentiles... They're going to judge us? The, the children? What are you talking about? They're thinking that they're the ones that are going to be able to judge. But Paul flips it on them. He flips the script completely on them like, well, no, you, you need to understand how this works. What what happens is that we, we get into trouble when we seek religion instead of seeking a relationship we get ourselves in a bind when we think, well, I got to I got to show up on Sunday, I got to sit in my, my pew, I got to come, I got to say the right things. But it doesn't work that way. You need to be transformed inwardly by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're striving for. That's what I want you all to get and understand that we ought to be transformed. We'll get here later, but in Romans 12 and two, it says, do not be conformed of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We must be transformed. Because the enemy Is at work. He's prowling like a roaring lion. He wants to get you and take you away from what the truth is. He wants you to believe what the world believes instead of what God says is true. Brothers and sisters, when we are transformed, when our hearts are changed, we can't help but live differently. When we have this inward transformation that takes place, we will be changed. And it's not a simple fact of just acting different or this behavior modification. When your heart's not right with God, no rituals, no religious acts will provide you any true rightness, righteousness that you require. It won't measure up. Deuteronomy 10 and 16 says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Your heart. You, we need a heart transplant. We need to take this 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 heart of flesh or the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Like we see in Ezekiel, we must be changed. There's a danger when we think about how, how we got here. There's a danger of what's called easy believism. Easy believism. And that's when people believe that because they said a sinner's prayer one time at a youth camp, or maybe um, they maybe they did it multiple times at different different uh, camps, they believe they're saved no matter what. But there's no inward change. There is no connection. Maybe they raised their hand to accept Christ and considered themselves to be saved, but nothing at all changed in their life. Their heart. They show no desire to follow Christ and they actually live in blatant sin. A true Christian would produce good fruit. You can say the words, you can play the part, but if you are not transformed, then it will be evident because you will produce fruit. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. We talked a little bit about Matthew 7. The scariest verse in the Bible is directly after this, but here he sets it up in Matthew 7 and 16. It says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But a diseased tree, on the other hand, bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you are recognized by their fruits. My question for you today is, where are you? You know much I love you, but I don't want you to sit here thinking that your attendance is a part of your salvation i want you to truly honestly earnestly know who jesus christ is i want you to know him so intimately and, and care for him and, and know what he's done for you that you can't help but be obedient to you to him you can't help But do things and serve others because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. I want you to know and be solid that of why Jesus came and the benefit that you have because of that, that you are covered by the blood of Jesus. And you have never, you could never do more bad that couldn't be covered by Jesus and his blood. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've gone. All of it is covered by the blood of Jesus. He's already paid the price. You don't have to keep beating yourself up and trying to pay it on your own. When Christ on the cross said, it is finished, it is done, it's taken care of, it's paid. And all you need to do is follow him. Accept his love, accept his grace, accept his, his mercy. And because of that, you will see that your heart has changed, that, that the things that you wanted to do before, you don't want to do no more. The, the places you used to go, you don't want to go anymore. The people you used to hang around with, you just can't hang around with them anymore. Because you're different. You're changed, and when you see somebody hurting, when, when you see that there's a way that you can help somebody else and be able to serve them, you, you, there's a the scripture that says, I'll do one another in honor. You're like, you can't, you can't wait to be able to help them out to join with other people to make sure that they not only have what they need in the moment, but also. Uh, They have it and know it's because of who Jesus is. That you can't wait to share the good news with them. People say, why why do you act this way? Elizabeth, why do you care so much? Godfrey, why are you always trying to help, help out and do all these things? I understand, why are you always praying for me? It's because of what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about what he's done for you. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for this church. That this church be known for just absurdly loving Jesus, caring for the community, caring for his people, being a praying church, caring, loving, serving church. That's what I want for you, and that's what I want for First Baptist Bolingbroke. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Some of this is hard to hear. Like, we, 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 uh, we do want to do good things, but we need to, to look at our, our lives and ourselves to make sure that our heart is in the right place. So, Father, thank you for, for some of us, just a smack upside the head, so we understand and realize, like, I need to get right that these motions that I'm going through is not a good or significant. They don't matter at the end of the day if I don't have a relationship. Father, help us to see how we can cultivate this relationship with you. Help us to uh, give us the desire to spend time with you in your scripture. Give us the heart and the want, the need to spend time with you in prayer. Draw us to you. Help us to want to be around God's people so that we might be uh, encouraged by, and we also could be an encouragement. Help us to, instead of thinking about, uh, uh, this is not the right time, or this might be a burden on me right now, help us to look and see, well, how can I go above and beyond to to serve people because of the ultimate sacrifice you paid for me? Even while I still sin, you died for me. Help us to live this out in every moment of every day and help it to be contagious. That we would live so fervently for you that people would be like, what's going on? What, how can I be changed like that? What must I do to be saved? Not for our own benefit, not so that I can talk about, hey, I it was, uh, brought all these people to Christ, but so that you can get the honor and glory Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for all the things that you've done amongst your people here at First Baptist Boyne Brook and all the things that you are yet to do. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.